Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community United Methodist Church. It's good to be with you this morning. Congratulations on remembering that today is Sunday. I uh, forgot a few times myself yesterday, so I'm uh, proud of you for, for remembering and being here. This is this is that week between Christmas and New Year's where all the days just kind of run together, but uh, today is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm glad that you're here for worship. I'd encourage you to f- uh, find the attendance pads that are in the pews and fill those out, uh, pass them along. You definitely want to get credit for being here today, so uh, be sure to do that. We had a little mix-up with the bulletins this morning. The, uh, the 11 o'clock bulletins got set out along with the 9 o'clock bulletins. So if you open up your bulletin and there's no prelude and no call to worship and no opening hymn or any of that, then that means you got an 11 o'clock bulletin. I apologize for that. There are plenty of 9 o'clock bulletins with the ushers. If you just put your hand up, I'm sure that that one of our wonderful ushers will bring you the the right bulletin for this morning. Uh, If you ordered one of these lovely poinsettias for Christmas, thank you for that. And uh, if you didn't pick it up, after the Christmas Eve service, you're welcome to, to take your poinsettia following the service this morning. Also, make sure that you pick up your offering envelopes. The offering envelopes for 2022 are on the table in the narthex, and you're going to need those beginning next Sunday. So if you haven't already picked up your offering envelopes, make sure that you pick those up this morning. We are uh, here to worship God this morning, so I invite you into an attitude of worship and to stand as you're able for the call to worship. Men and women, old and young, together, praise God and exalt the author of life. Praise God in the highest heavens. Praise God, all dwellers on the earth. God commanded, and we were created. God sustains us and enables us to grow. Praise God, all who seek to live in faithfulness. Glorify God's name and join the loving community. Know that we are chosen by God, holy and beloved. We are called into one body, the Church of Jesus Christ. Let us draw close to God and to one another. Let us join with all creation to worship God. And we'll join together in our opening hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful, and we'll be singing verses 1, 2, and 3, and it's number 234 in your hymnal.
may be seated. And let us join together this morning in our opening prayer. Height and breadth, length and depth, the whole universe proclaims your glory, faithful God. Your wisdom fills the universe with possibilities we have not tapped. Your word comes to us filled with riches we have not mined. Within ourselves is the potential for greatness as yet unrealized. Confront us here with your eternal claim on us that we may become the kind, compassionate, and patient people you intend for us to be. Amen. And we'll join with Infant Holy, Infant Lowly, number in a moment of silence to offer our prayers to God. Lord, what a privilege it is to celebrate that holy birth, knowing the reason for that birth, your great love for us, and our desperate need of you, because so many times we have gone astray. So often we fail to live up to your high calling upon us we have fallen into sin time and time again, and yet you loved us so much that you sent your Son into this world to redeem us. Thank you, Lord, for that most precious gift. Thank you for the privilege of, of being able to, to celebrate that. 
and for the joy of being a part of your holy family and coming together as family to, to worship you and to honor you. As we gather now in worship, we lift up to you those that, that we know are struggling right now and are in need of a special measure of your grace and your mercy, praying for you to pour that upon them this morning, that this season might be a season of joy for all people, a season of peace for all people, a season of hope for all people, a season of love for all people. Pour your love into our hearts and help us to love one another even as you have loved us. Lord, strengthen our witness to one another. Strengthen our witness as a congregation to this community around us that they will come to know the truth of the gospel, be transformed by your amazing love. Continue to work in us and through us for the good of our neighbor, for the transformation of this world. We pray in Jesus' name as we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite the ushers to come uh, to distribute the offering plates as we uh, present ourselves to God through the giving of our tithes and offerings.
please join with me in the prayer of dedication. We are thankful for the love that gave us life, for the mission that gives us purpose to our days, and for the peace that Christ grants to us. Keep us from needless anxiety that we may give without counting the cost. We give ourselves as well as our money that your word may spread where it is not known and take root where it has not been heeded. Amen. Please be seated. Would you stand as you're able for the reading of the gospel? Our gospel today is from Luke 2, 41 through 52, and talks about when Jesus was in the temple as a young boy. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. 
When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The word of God for the people of God. So in today's Bible reading, Jesus is 12 years old. Seems like he was only born yesterday, doesn't it? Weird. Weird how time flies. Life is like that sometimes, isn't it? Turn your head for a moment and 12 years have gone by. To be fair, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot about Jesus' childhood. Following the story of his birth, there's mention of him being circumcised on the eighth day, And then there's a story of his dedication at the temple, which would have been when he was 40 days old. And then there's a story in Matthew about the visit of the Magi, which we usually combine with the Christmas story, but Jesus would likely have been close to two years old when the Magi arrived. And that's it. That's all the Bible tells us about the childhood of Jesus. And none of those stories actually say anything about what kind of child he was. Did he cry a lot? Was he well-behaved and respectful? How did he get along with the other children in the neighborhood? Did he ever get in trouble? Did he ever get spanked? You ever think about that? What would it be like to be Joseph and have to spank Jesus, knowing that he's the Son of God? People have always wondered, ever since the the Christian faith began, about Jesus' childhood. The books of the Bible don't give us anything to go on until this story from Luke 2, where he's already 12 years old. Lots of other stories were written early on to try and fill in the picture. There are books written in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries that that present themselves as Gospels. The the books are not revealed scripture. For the most part, they're made-up stories. But even if they don't give us a window into who Jesus was, they paint an interesting picture of how some of the early Christians imagined Jesus to be as a child. In one of them, called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, Jesus is five years old, playing by a stream, He takes some clay and forms 12 clay sparrows. And someone complains because it's the Sabbath, and Jesus has broken the Sabbath by doing this. Joseph tries to correct the five-year-old boy. So Jesus claps his hands together and yells, Be gone! And the clay sparrows all at once come alive, and they fly away chirping. And later in that same book, the, the townspeople are complaining that Jesus needs to be brought under control. A teacher named Zacchaeus volunteers to to take Jesus under his wing, but as soon as he begins trying to teach Jesus, the boy starts asking him all sorts of questions that he can't answer and challenging his lack of wisdom. Finally, Zacchaeus begs Joseph to take Jesus away from him, saying, Woe is me, I am wretched and puzzled. I have shamed myself trying to handle this child. 
And in another book called the Arabic Infancy Gospel, there's a story about Jesus going out to play with the other children of the town, but, but they're all hiding from him. Jesus asks some of the women where the children have gone. They answer that no one is there. Well, Jesus can see the children trying to hide from him, so, so he asks, who is that back there? And the women say, oh, it's some young goats. So Jesus calls to them, come out to your shepherd, you goats. And the children instantly turn into goats and come out skipping around Jesus. And the women fall down and implore him, Oh, our Lord Jesus, Son of Mary, truly you are the good shepherd of Israel. Have mercy on your handmaids who stand before you and have never doubted, for you have come, our Lord, to heal and not destroy. And so Jesus turns the goats back into children and everyone is happy. All of these, of course, are, are fanciful tales that, that were made up about Jesus centuries later. None of them have historical value as far as understanding what the childhood of Jesus was like. But they all stem from that desire within us to understand and relate to Jesus on a human level, on our level, while also realizing there's something very different about Jesus. We have a, we have a hard enough time trying to understand Jesus as an adult, let alone knowing what his childhood must have been like. Our Bible reading for today from the Gospel of Luke has a certain element about it that any parent can relate to. A child is lost. Parents look frantically for the child. The child is nowhere in sight. They search and search, and when they finally find him, the kid couldn't care less about what they've been going through all this time. He's just wrapped up in his own world, oblivious to the fact that they that he had just missed his ride because he didn't really care about what was going, what they were going through, or what they were, where they were going. He he had something else to do. When Zach was about three years old, we took a family vacation to Washington D.C. We were walking through one of the Smithsonian museums. Three-year-old Zach wandered one way. The rest of the family wandered the other way. And within minutes, we realized that, that Zach was gone. We immediately began frantically running around the museum, calling out his name, searching for him. It, it took us several minutes to find him. Those several minutes seemed like an eternity, minds racing to all the terrible scenarios of what could have happened to him. When we did find him a few minutes later, he didn't even realize he had been lost. He was just looking around. He got quite a scolding about needing to stay with us, but I was scolding myself as well for having lost sight of him. That was only about three minutes. Three days? Really, three days? This story can tend to, to make Mary and Joseph look a bit bad. Like, how could you lose your child for three days? But, but it's not like Jesus was three or four years old. He, he was 12. He was old enough to keep track of himself. He was old enough to know better than to not mind his parents. It, it wasn't their responsibility to keep track of him at this point. It was his responsibility to stay with them. Jesus was expected to be where he was supposed to be. You can imagine that when Mary said, Child, why have you treated us like this? There was probably a little bit of anger in her voice. Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Great anxiety. If that isn't an understatement, it, he's been missing for three days. And he's 12 years old. It's not like he just wandered off and accidentally got lost. 
He went to the temple on purpose, but he didn't see fit to ask his parents' permission to go there or even give them a heads up that that's where he was going to be. I posed the question earlier, if Jesus ever got spanked, I'd say in this story he's in for what was known in biblical times as a whooping. But when your kid is the son of God, I guess you think twice about that kind of thing. So Mary scolded him instead. But I'm sure that there was some anger in her voice. Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. It's interesting that she said, your father and I. It's interesting, too, that the way that Jesus answered her. Why have you been searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Same word, father, but with a very different meaning. I think that Jesus, in his response to Mary, is sort of rebuffing Mary for calling Joseph his father. Like so many other stepchildren throughout the centuries, Jesus can't help but point out, he's not my real dad. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly when Jesus came to a full understanding of who he truly was and what his life would be. Just like any child starts off with the very basics and then learns and to understand and comprehend more as they grow, it must have been the same for Jesus. In fact, the last verse of today's reading says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in years. If Jesus increased in wisdom, even as he grew in years, then he didn't have a full knowledge of all things from the moment he was born. Jesus' brain and consciousness grew just as did his body. At 12 years old, though, at 12 years old, Jesus was just about at that age where Jewish boys became men, taking full responsibility upon themselves for following all of the Jewish laws and customs, This trip to the temple in Jerusalem was kind of like Jesus' coming into adulthood and claiming responsibility for his mission from God. No longer is it Mary and Joseph leading Jesus around. Now it is Jesus following his father, God, as his only authority. Mary and Joseph were heading home to Nazareth, and of course they assumed that Jesus was coming along with them. But in that visit to Jerusalem, Jesus came to understand that just as Joseph was not his natural father, Nazareth was not his natural home. He was the son of God, and so his true home was the house of God. So when it came time to head for home, that's where he went. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That phrase can be translated another way. Besides saying, in my father's house, Jesus' question could also be translated like this. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? There's a double meaning in his words there. He's in the temple, and the temple is God's house. He's indicating that he knows that that, that, that his true home is with God. But there is more than location involved here. There is also vocation. Jesus isn't just saying that he knows where he is supposed to be. He's also saying that he knows what he is supposed to be about. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus is saying that he knows who is in charge of his life, and it is no longer Mary and Joseph, but God, and only God, that he must follow. 
Maybe it's a good thing that the Bible doesn't spend so much time on the baby Jesus. Maybe it's a good thing that that the Gospels kind of skip ahead and rush on past those childhood years. Because, you see, Jesus wasn't born just to be a cute and cuddly baby bringing us warm and fuzzy feelings every Christmas. Jesus was born to be king. Jesus was born to be savior. Jesus was born to be Lord. Jesus was born for a mission. Jesus was born to fulfill a task. Jesus was born to carry out God's will for all humankind. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus had figured out who was in control of his every movement and decision. What about you? What about you? Have you figured it out yet? Or are you still battling to to gain control for yourself in every area of life? Or have you decided to let go and to be about your father's business? I think there's something about the baby Jesus, seeing him as an infant wrapped up in the swaddling claws and lying in a manger. There's something about that image that makes us feel like we could just wrap Jesus up in our arms and carry him with us. But the truth is, we're not supposed to wrap Jesus up in our arms. We're supposed to be wrapped up in his. The truth is, we're, we're not supposed to wrap Jesus up in our worldview and, and think that he blesses the same things that we bless and values the same things that we value. We're supposed to be wrapped up in his worldview, seeing everything through the eyes of Christ, valuing things by his standards. The truth is, we're not supposed to lead Jesus around and tell him what's important and where he should go and what he should do. He's supposed to lead us around. And show us what's important and where we should go and what we should do. I think we sometimes have a tendency to walk through life much the same way as Mary and Joseph when they were headed back to Nazareth. Just assuming, just assuming that Jesus is with us. Not taking the time to look and to see if we are with him. We make our plans and we assume without even thinking about it that, of course, Jesus is on board with those plans. We go about our business, which we define on our own terms, and just assume that that Jesus will go along with us. But Jesus isn't about our business. Jesus is about his father's business. Sometimes our plans are so far removed from God's plans for us Sometimes our business has so little to do with God's business that we look over our shoulders for a moment and say, wait a minute, where did Jesus go? Wasn't he here with us when we set out? Isn't he supposed to follow along with us wherever we go, whatever we do? No. No, he is not. We cannot set the destination ourselves and then expect Jesus to go along for the ride. He's not a baby anymore that we can carry with us wherever we want as if we are the ones in control. Jesus must be in his father's house. Jesus must be about his father's business. And if we want to be with him, then we must make sure that we stay with him. If we are not careful in our plans, if we're not focused in our attentions, if we are 
inattentive to our actions, then we can very easily leave Jesus behind without even realizing it. And sometimes, sometimes it won't just be three days till we figure it out. It might even be three months or three years or, God forbid, a lifetime. Don't leave Jesus behind. He must be about his father's business. And so must you. So must you if you want to be with him. So as you prepare to go into this new year, as you make your grand New Year's resolutions, as you set your sights on the wonders that are in store for you in this year ahead, Remember who is in control. Remember who it is that's supposed to be taking the lead. And know that it is not you. It is not you. You are not the one in the lead. You you are not the great decider. And that's good news. That's good news because God is the one who knows better than you ever could what it is that you need, where you need to go, what you need to do. So stay focused always on him. Make sure that you are staying with him. Be always about his business. Amen. invite you to stand if you are able and uh, sing together our closing hymn, which is number 240 in the hymnals. Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
As you leave this place, as you go into this new week, as you enter into the new year, as you go about your life, make sure that you're not just expecting Jesus to follow along behind you. Make sure that you are following behind him. Go in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.